Hi, my name is Christy Romine, or as some of you may know me, I'm Josh's wife. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church here in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Good morning. I'm excited. I love to preach. I do. I love to teach and preach. There's certain things I don't like to do. Um, Some years ago, we had a neighbor next door, a wonderful neighbor. Name was Ruby. Ruby was the best of neighbors. And she was so sweet. And when she traveled, I picked up her mail. And when I traveled, she, uh, we traveled, she picked up our mail. And it was just a wonderful relationship. She, I couldn't do enough for her, and she couldn't do enough for us. And she called me one day and said, I'm getting ready to go out of town for four days. Would you mind feeding my cats? <laughs> well, that ain't something I like to do. But I mean, I'm not a cat person. I hate to say I know that's, that's going to turn some of you off already. But I just don't do cats. But anyway, thank you. But anyway, I couldn't say no to Ruby. And I said yes. And she said, well, I got two of them. And they can't be together. They don't go well together. So I keep one in the house and the other one in the garage. His name is Zero. And Zero has a thyroid condition. And I want you to give him a thyroid tablet every day. And he didn't want to take it, so you have to hold his head and push it down his throat. <laughs> Put it on peanut butter on it first. So anyway, I said, okay, Ruby. <laughs> she goes, and the first day I go over there, and I feed the cat inside, and I go out there. Zero, I can't, he's up in the rafters in the garage. I can't get him down. So anyway, I just I coax him everything. I finally put the food out there, and I take one of those thyroid tablets and put it in peanut butter and stick it in there. And I got home, and fleas were all over me. I mean, I was just covered in fleas, and I'm kicking off. So the next day, I'm going over there. I look like I got a space suit on. You know, I'm <laughs> covered up with my pants tied, and I go in there, and I feed the cat out, and then I go in the garage, and zeroes up in the rafters, and Everything's eaten in that bowl except that thyroid tablet. He has cleaned the peanut butter off of it, but the thyroid tablet's still there. So anyway, I wrap it up again and put it back in there. Every day I come, the thyroid tablet's there. I never get the thyroid tablet down it. So finally, Ruby comes back, and I'm taking her mail over, and I said, Ruby, um, how's um, zero? (laughs) She said... Zero past. And I said, he passed. She said, yeah, he's dead. So I went home, and I said, Ann, I murdered Zero. She said, what? I said, the cat's dead. I couldn't get the thyroid tablet down it. She said, did you tell Ruby? I said, no. So I stayed awake all that night. No joke. I could not go to sleep thinking about this thing. So the next morning early I get up and I go over to Ruby's and I knock on the door and I said, Ruby, I've got to tell you something. She said, what is it? And I said, how zero? I mean, I, I, I was worried about zero. 
and it's about zero. And she said, yeah, we hated to put him down. I said, you put him down? She said, yeah, I was just keeping him alive till my brother could get here to say goodbye to him. And I put him to sleep yesterday, the other day. She said, what is it you want to tell me? I said, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but there are certain things I do like to do, and preaching <laughs> is one of those. And I'm glad to be here with you. I just love this part of what I get to do. And I'm preaching today, um, as you know, Chip, our pastor, has been leading us through the Bible, and I love that. I love that. And I hope you've seen pictures of Christ all through it. I mean, he's, he's the last Adam, you know. He's the Passover lamb. He is a perfected Passover lamb. He's the perfected high priest in Leviticus. He is, the, he is the, 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 the snake in the wilderness that our sins are forgiven on. In each of the books, there's Christ. And if we miss that, we miss the picture of the Bible and the beauty of it. But we come today, and when he asked me what I do want, I said yes, and he said, which one do you want? I said, Ruth. I could have said Obadiah, it's only 21 verses. But Ruth is still short. It's only four chapters, only 85 verses in this little book. But it is a power-packed book. Let me tell you that. And it is the greatest love story in the Bible. And hopefully you can see that when we get through. It is a tremendous Love So it's a romantic novel. It's a historical novel. If we didn't have the book of Ruth, we could never tie Judah to David um, and, and the kingship. And so this is a great book to get into, and yet it has something to say for us, I think. There are only two books in the Bible named after a woman. One of them's Ruth, and the other is Esther. Yes, thank you. And there are actually only two books in the Bible named after a Gentile. One's in the Old Testament, and it's Ruth. Ruth is a Gentile. A Gentile is a non-Jew. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. So Ruth is not even a, a Jew. And the other one, of course, is Luke in the New Testament. And then there's one other great one thing about this book, but I'm going to save that for the end. But I'm going to start by just reading the Scripture, and I'm going to be in and out the Scripture. <laughs> I've got a lot to go through because I'm reading a lot of this. This is, matter of fact, you need to go home and just read it. It's just such a great four little chapters, and you won't find a better story. But I'm going to start by saying how it began in the first chapter, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. Now, we just had the judges last week, and the judges... Uh, that, or, that was the, or before, and that's the dark ages of Israel. This is the, during the dark ages of Israel. That was that cycle of sin that the judges kept committing. Matter of fact, the last verse in the chapter in the book of Judges says, in those days Israel had no king, they had no God, and every man did as he thought was right in his own sight. So it was a bad time. We live in somewhat of that day today when we don't have a God to turn to a Christ we, we, we live the way we think is best. And, and that's what was happening in the time of Judges. So during that time of Judges, it, it was these things going on, but all of a sudden God sends this little book of Ruth in the middle of that. It's such a picture of hope that we get right here. But it says, a severe famine came upon the land. Things weren't going good. So a man 
from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. Now, I'm going to tell you something in the Bible. Names are very important. They named children back then and named things different than we would today. They would name a child maybe by what they thought he ought to be or what he looked like. Um, you remember when Esau was born? You know what Esau means? Harry. Yeah, they called the child Harry. I mean, I guess they later changed it to Harry, you know, when he grew up or something. But he was hairy. It was a hairy, fleshy child. Jacob, he was holding his brother's heel. They were twins. And they called him the trickster or the heel catcher. That's what Jacob means. When Benjamin was born to Rachel, she died in childbirth. And right before she died, she saw him. She called him Ben-Ami, child of my sorrow. And Jacob said, ooh, I don't want him to grow up every time child of her sorrow, reminding. So he changed it to Benjamin, child of my right hand. So that's how names were given. Actually, Bethlehem meant house of bread. Now, I'm going to tell you about Moab in a minute. But Moab was not a good place, not for the Jews. And they're going from Bethlehem, the house of bread, to Moab. You know what? Israel, the Greek word, uh, the Hebrew word for Moab was garbage can. <laughs> You're going from the house of bread to the garbage can because things got tough in the land that God gave you and they wanted to leave. So it says the man's name was Elimelech. Elimelech means God is my king. His parents probably named him that when they saw him. And his wife was Naomi. Her name means pleasant. She's a pleasant person. Their two sons were Malon, which means sickly, and Kilion, which means puny. I guess the children weren't too good. As a matter of fact, we're going to see they're going to die in a couple of years, so they must have been sickly and puny. But they were Ephrathites. Ephrathites. Now, Ephrathah was the county within Bethlehem was located. So Bethlehem Ephrathah was uh, the place. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Elimelech, things got tough, and so he takes his family to the garbage can where he shouldn't have gone because Moab, you know where Moab came from? Who was Moab? Moab was the incestuous son of Lot and his daughter. <laughs> you remember they got Lot drunk? His daughters did because they thought they weren't going to have any children. Moab's over there at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where it's located near. And, and they got him drunk, and they have a child. One of them has a child named Moab, and he's the father of the Moabites. The Israelites despise the Moabites. As a matter of fact, when they went through the desert, when they went in the wilderness, the king of Moab wouldn't let them pass. His name was Balaam. Balak, excuse me. And he called on a prophet named Balaam. You remember Balaam was the one that had the talking donkey. I had a joke about that, but I'm not going to say it. But anyway, Balak. Balak tries to curse the Israelites. And so he's a Moabite king trying to curse them. And then he can't do that. So Balaam says, hey, I'll tell you what to do. Get your women to seduce the Israelite men. And they do. They do. And God sends a plague on them, and 24,000 of them die. 
So the Moabites were not a happy people for the Israelites. And this guy, Elimelech, takes his family there. And matter of fact, there, there was a, in Deuteronomy 23, no Moabite could come into the assembly of the Lord up to ten generations. They just didn't want them. Then Elimelech died. Okay, he moves there and he dies. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married their, that's all they got, a Moabite women. That's the worst of the worst. They married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, and the other married a woman named Ruth. Her name means compassionate friend. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husbands. Things just can't get worse. She's moved. There's a famine. She's in a bad place. And all of a sudden, her husband's dead and her two sons are dead. And you think, where is God in all of this? Are you telling me this is a good book? It doesn't start that way, does it? But see, what we're going to learn about is something called God's providence. Providence. And it actually comes from two words, pro, before, and video, to video, to see. To see before. God sees before us. You see that? He's already here ahead of us. He already knows what's in your life. He knows what's going to happen. So God's providence is all over this. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland of Bethlehem. All right, you got it? She got in Moab, been there at least 10 years. The boys have died. The husband's dead. She's got two Moabite daughter-in-laws, and she's heading back to Jerusalem or, or to Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And she's got Moabite daughters. On the way, she begins to think, I think. She says, what? But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back to your mother's home. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law by, but Ruth clung to her tightly to Naomi. That word clung is a nice little word in there. It means to cleave. It's the same word that's used in the beginning of the Bible when it says a husband will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. She's cleaving to Naomi. She says, I want to be part of who you are. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. Now, I'm skipping verses in here because I can't get it all in in the time I have, but I want you to know that there's something taking place here. Naomi tells them, hey, Look, even if I have sons, and this is called the Leverite law of marriage, that if a, and it was for the Israelite people, and it was a good law. It brought, kept the family tight together because it meant if you, a son married a wife and he died, then the next son was to marry her and provide a child for her for her dead husband's legacy. So, you know, when your brother brought a wife home, you wanted to look at her too because, you know, you're next in line. So, but it kept the family close. 
And so here they are in this Leverite, and, and Naomi says, look, I can't even have children anymore, and if I did, it's going to be 20 years before they can marry you. Would you wait that long? So then we come, and I call this chapter one. We're in chapter one already, but I call chapter one Ruth's repentance. Ruth, this good woman, Ruth, has a time of repentance. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This passage is used a lot in marriages. <laughs> what Chip's laughing at, we usually tell them, this is a bride's pledge to her mother-in-law. Then they say, let's don't use that one. <laughs> when, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So what we see in this repentance, Ruth leaves behind her old life behind. She turns away from the things of, that she's been living in. She leaves her people. She leaves her country. She even leaves her family. She's, she's put that behind her and turned a different way. And she commits herself to Jehovah God in this. That's what repentance is, you see. We turn away from the old life and we turn to the new one. The, the, the God of the Moabites was Chemosh, who, who required child sacrifices even. I mean, the Jews could not stand all of this. But she gives that up. Now, Naomi said, go back to that. And Orpha did, but Ruth doesn't. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they come to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women ask? And she says, now she ain't happy still. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full... <coughs> But the Lord has brought me home empty. Hear that? I was full. He brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. Every time we hear Ruth, it'll say the young Moabite woman. They bring that home. They arrived in Bethlehem in the late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Oh, there's another hand of God in here. They get there just at barley harvest. Now, God's got a plan. He's got a plan for your life, too, you know. You're here just at the right time. Now, there are three people we saw in this first part. We saw Orpha, who would represent a good person, but she went back to her whole life. Then we see Naomi, who was a believer, but she's been a backslider. And then we see Ruth, a non-believer, who commits herself to God, to Christ. We have those kind of people here today, even on Mother's Day. So we come to chapter 2, and I call this one Ruth's Redeemer, because here we've got a new character coming into play. We're getting a man called Boaz. Boaz is a wealthy landowner. First verses of that say, he's a wealthy landowner. got lots of land. And he's wealthy. And guess what? 
he happens to be kin to Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. And he's kin to Malon, which was Ruth's husband, and Kilion. Three things we see in here, as I told you a minute ago, God's providence is here, God's protection is here, and God's plan is in this book. In this chapter, we're going to roll into those three things. One day, Ruth the Moabite, I'm back in Scripture, said to Naomi, Please let me go out in the harvest field to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. She's a Moabite, but this was called the law of gleaning. <laughs> it was back in um, uh, Leviticus where you, when you had a field, you, you didn't take the edges, you left them, and when you dropped grain, you only took what you grabbed the first time, you left it for, it was sort of a, a welfare system for the poor. The poor could come and glean and get food from there, or, or widows or orphans. So that, this was a system set up, the law of gleaning. And she's saying, let me go into the fields, because I know about your law now. Let me go, and I'll glean there too. So we see in that this law of God, and we see God's providence, pro to go before. And as it happened, as as it happened, you got to love that now. It just throws it in there, as it happened. It would say, as luck would have it, guess what? Ruth's out there, she doesn't know Boaz yet. She doesn't know a thing about him. But it happens that she gets into Boaz's field. Hmm. You think God's here? She gets into Boaz's field. Now, Boaz has got many fields, but it just so happens that day he comes to that field. She searches for meaning. She's searching for a meaning in her life. She's, she's changed from what it was, but she's searching for meaning, as Ruth would do. Hey, I'm now part of this nation. I want to be a part of it. And she's going out working in the field. And as it happened, as luck would have it, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Boaz comes to the field that day, and he says to his foreman, this is sort of Old Testament translation, wow, who is that? <laughs> I added that in, but I mean, that's what he was thinking. <laughs> he said, who is she? All these women out there, drank, who is that one? And, and his foreman says, oh, that's Ruth the Moabite. <laughs> you won't want to mess with her. But Boaz, he makes a beeline over there. And he says, uh, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, excuse me, yeah, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. Same word, that cleave word comes back. You cleave here. You, you hang in here. When you gather grain, don't go to any other fields. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She says, I'm only a foreigner. Basically, I'm only a Moabite. I'm the lowest on the ladder. She recognizes, though, Boaz as a savior. At mealtime, Boaz calls to her and he says, come over here. He, he's, he's singled out and said, come over here and eat with us. He, he's invited her. This is a date. He's invited her to a romantic dinner. They're having roasted barley. 
probably some mac and cheese and green beans too, but all it said is roasted barley. But she got a lot of it. And she, matter of fact, she had so much left over. Matter of fact, it said there that she had a basket left over, and the implication of a basket would be 20 to 25 pounds. That <laughs> she goes home with that day from what she's gleaned and what she's got left over. And Boaz even tells his workers, hey, look, when she's behind you, you don't bother her. He's protecting her. And, and drop some extra grain for her. Just drop it. Then we come. She, she actually, listen to this. There's just a little line in here I thought of. She's being served by the Lord of the harvest. You like that? The Lord of the harvest. Who is the Lord of the harvest? And, and you know what Jesus, remember what Jesus told the uh, Syrophoenician woman? She was a Gentile when she said, would you heal my daughter? And he said, it's not right that I give the children's bread to the dogs. Bread, bread, oh, all of this. And what does she say? Yes, but we get the leftovers, the gleanings. We get, we, there's a picture of Christ in here, in Boaz. Ruth's request. In this chapter now, uh, maybe the children ought to leave. This one gets a little... T Naomi and Ruth turn up the heat on the romance. <laughs> Naomi is saying... Remember, Naomi in the second chapter, when Ruth comes home and says, I got in Boaz's field, she's been bitter. Now she's excited. She's jumping around. She said, whoa, this is good. Now, do as I tell you, Naomi says. Take a bath. <laughs> Listen. You go sell the barn, you want to paint the door. <laughs> Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. <laughs> be, noticed, be, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now, this is important because this is the threshing floor. This is the end of harvest, and they take it out and thresh it, and then they, keep, they pile all the wheat in the middle, and the men sleep around it to protect it that night before they bag it or get it out of there because they don't want somebody stealing it or animals coming in and get it. So they sleep around it like spokes in the wheel. She says, make sure you know which one Boaz is. Don't fall at the wrong man's feet because this is a very symbolic thing that she's called to do. She says, go lie down at his feet. He will tell you what to do. She makes herself ready. <laughs> you know, in Revelation, it says the bride puts on new clothes. She makes herself ready. That same line, she makes herself ready in Revelation. Talking about us with Christ. She makes herself ready. And she submits. She's going to. Ruth, Ruth's heart got to be pounding out, you know, that night. Because it's getting dark in there. And she's supposed to be hidden until they go to sleep. Women aren't supposed to be in there. So... Anyway, she's sort of waiting, and when the lights go out, she looked where Boaz went, and she goes, and it says around, she, she lays down at his feet, and she cover, she's sitting at the bottom of his feet. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up. He's been drinking, you know. He's, he had a few nips. But anyway, he says he turns over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I often wonder how he said that. Angrily, who are you? Or, who are you? <laughs> who, 
who is this? What are you doing at my feet? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. She replied, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. You know what she's doing? You don't know this. She's proposing marriage. We would call it Sadie Hawkins Day here. Now, some of you don't know what Sadie Hawkins Day is. But Sadie Hawkins Day was when girls could go ask guys for a date or to a Sadie Hawkins dance. Back in 1939, that's when that first started. But she proposes marriage. And, and you notice the three things she did. Listen, she got herself ready. Did you hear that? Put on you, wash yourself. What do you do when we come to Christ? What happens? He washes us. He anoints us with, a, put on perfume, anoints us with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and he covers us with clothes, new clothes of righteousness. And then we go and submit at his feet, don't we? Ah, you think Christ is in here? She proposes, and she spread your garment over me. It's a metaphor for that proposal of marriage. Because, she says, you are a goel, a kinsman redeemer. You're kin to us. You can, you can fulfill that Leverite law of marriage. And you know what he says? You are a noble woman. I love this. I hardly have time, but I'm going to tell it. This is a Mother's Day sermon in here. She's going to become a mother at the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but she, they use that word, you are a virtuous woman. It's only used one other time. It's used in the last chapter of Proverbs, which we usually preach on Mother's Day, the 31st chapter. Who can find a virtuous woman? <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, scholars say, believe that Proverbs came right before Ruth. So the last chapter says, who can find a virtuous woman? And now we find it in Ruth. God's got his hands all over this. So, but for the kinsman redeemer, to be a kinsman redeemer it required three things. You had to be kin. <clears throat> and you had to be able to pay the price for the redemption of the land. See, people sold their land, but it never left the family. In the year of Jubilee, it came back to the family, but during that period of time, it belonged to someone else. When Elimelech left, he sold his land. Ruth and Naomi come back, have no land to live in. It belongs to someone else. But a redeemer can buy it back. But he has to be kin to them. He has to be able to pay the price, and he has to be willing to pay the price. You know who that Redeemer kinsman is? Somebody who's kin to God and kin to man, who is able to pay the price because he went on the cross, and he's willing to pay the price for me and for you. But she says, you're my Redeemer kinsman, and you know what he says? Hey, <clears throat> you're this virtuous woman. Don't worry. I'll go take care of it tomorrow. But let me tell you this. And here's the bomb. There is one that is closer to you than me. Another redeemer. And I have to go to him first. He has first choice. You know, that must have been a strange night. He said, but go to sleep here and get up early in the morning so nobody sees you and get out. And he gives her six scoops of barley, 50 pounds 
of barley. He said, but get up early in the morning, go out. Now, you think she slept that night. <laughs> Maybe he didn't either. She knows that in the morning, I'm going to be engaged to somebody. It's either going to be Boaz or some other man. I don't know. But Boaz has a plan. So we come to chapter 4, Ruth's reward. <clears throat> Did I tell you what chapter 3 was? Yeah. That was Ruth's request. Okay. Chapter 4 is Ruth's reward. Boaz goes to the town gate. Now, the town gate was not just a gate. That's where business was transacted. That's where the, uh, the town municipal hall was, right in the town gate. That's where business was transacted. That's where court was held. So he goes to the town gate waiting for this guy to come by. And just so happens, just so happens again, he comes by that day. And Boaz calls him over. And he calls in the jury. He calls in ten elders. And he says, hey, I want to tell you something. And this is where he goes. He says, Boaz said to the elders, well, he says to the man, um, would, would you like to buy this land? And, and, and actually, the man says, yeah, yeah, I want the land. See, Boaz is a little shrewd in this. He hadn't told him the whole story yet. The man said, yeah, I like the land. I want it. He says, oh, by the way, when you take it, you also take Ruth as your wife. And her child will inherit the land, the first child you have. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, not that. I can't, that, that's going to that's um, endanger my estate. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, your witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi. And then he says, I will buy it. Your witnesses today that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth. Listen, for the first time he calls her the Moabite. I've acquired Ruth. I want you to know she's a Moabite. But I've acquired her as my wife. Jesus' parable. You remember about the pearl in the field that he goes and he sees this, this man finds a pearl in the field and he goes, he realizes it, he hides it and then he goes and sells everything he has and comes and buys that field so he has the pearl. Moab doesn't want the land. He's got more land than he wants. He wants the pearl. He wants Ruth. He's bought it for that purpose. And we see that she marries Boaz in this. The book goes from a funeral. It started off with a funeral to a wedding. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled them to become pregnant. She became pregnant, her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, the Moabite, they don't say, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. They have a son. It goes from a famine to a family. In four chapters. And now, the rest of the story. 
let me just tell you quickly, uh, Boaz, <laughs> you might not know this, Boaz's father was a man named Salmon, and his mother was a woman named Rahab, Rahab of Jericho, the prostitute who let the, who let the, the thread down, who kept the spies in her thing, and God saved her. And she marries a, a Jewish man named Salmon. They have a son named Boaz. And they have a child, Ruth and Boaz, and they name him Obed. Oh, listen. Obed became the father of Jesse, man, and Jesse, the grandfather of David, King David. So the son of a prostitute named Boaz and a despised Gentile Moabite woman named Ruth become the ancestors of a child that will be born in a manger right there in the town where they live, and they will call his name Jesus. Only book in the Bible <laughs> named after an ancestor of Jesus, Ruth. Now the big surprise. The little book is a great story of love about two people. This is it. Boaz, who is a shadow of a kinsman redeemer yet to come, he represents Jesus. But listen, Ruth is a picture of a Gentile who needs a Redeemer kinsman. She represents you. This book, this is the greatest love story. This is a book about you and Jesus. This is Jesus' love for you. And the Holy Spirit knew it as he inspired this book. This is a picture of the Gentile church becoming the bride of Christ. Oh my goodness. You know, there were some great things going on that day. There were some great things in that period of time. The, the um, Genghis Khan had established the Mongolian uh, dynasty. And the Shang dynasty had been developed in China. And London and England had been formed as a country. But all of that bears in, in, in it, it, it is dims in comparison to the fact that if Ruth had gone back to Moab, Listen, if Ruth had come back to Moab, Israel would have been enslaved by the Philistines because there would have been no little shepherd boy David to kill him with a slingshot. There wouldn't have been any temple built because there wouldn't have been any Solomon and Zerubbabel. There wouldn't have been a Joseph to marry Mary. And there would have been no reason for wise men to come to Bethlehem because the star wouldn't be there because the Christ child. God's providence is in this, but it's about you. I got a quick story I got to tell. There's a woman called Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers lived in the <clears throat> late 1800s, early 1900s. She lived in England. She was a mystery writer. For a woman back then, it was strange. She was a woman ahead of her time. She was the first female graduate from Oxford University. But she wrote this series called Lord Peter Wimsley. She wrote this character called Lord Peter Wimsley. And, and she, she, it became a bestseller. It was the first bestseller by a woman ever. 
But in that, in writing it, Lord Peter Wimsley was alone and, and he, was, he was struggling with some of his cases. So critics say Dorothy Sayers fell in love with her character and she wrote herself into the book as a woman named Helen Bain, who was the first Oxford graduate, female Oxford, the first mystery writer to win the, these accolades. And she ends up marrying Peter Wimsley, helping him with his cases, and they live happily ever after. <clears throat> Some years ago, Jesus Christ created a character that he fell in love with. It was you. And he wrote himself into the story. He loved you so much that he came to this world to die on a Roman cross that you could be the bride of Christ for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just who you are, for your love, for the power of your word, for the truth of it, Lord for the pictures of Christ that are so evident and so meaningful, Lord, when we come before you, to know that we have a God that already knows our hurts, already knows our trials, already knows our struggles, and yet you loved us anyway enough to send your Son and that he was willing to come with joy to die for us. Bless us now, Lord, as we celebrate together the blood of Christ and the body of Christ in our communion. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.